All right, greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is Podcast at Ground Zero, your home for the apocalypse for episode 69. <laughs> 69, dude. <laughs> episode 69 for Tiny Wastelands. I am the apocalypse nerd. He is Item Bomb Glancy. Special guest tonight is Alan Barr from Gallant Night Games, the publisher of Tiny Wastelands. Hey, how's it going? And uh, so what we're going to be talking about tonight is uh, Tiny Wastelands. Tiny Wastelands is currently a Kickstarter project that is uh, successfully funded, very successfully funded. That's and, putting it mildly. Yep. Uh, it's doing very well. And uh, it is a post-apocalyptic role-playing game. So paper, pencil, tabletop games, for so you, so you folks know. So we are going to uh, talk about his game. As you know, we've had other Kickstarter uh, and other game developers uh, on the show before just to talk about their games because, again, we love all things the apocalypse, so we like to uh, help all our friends of the apocalypse by giving them on to help uh, promote their uh, apocalyptic content and uh, get the word out to other uh, friends of the apocalypse. So um, I'm not really going to talk too anything much about uh, any kind of uh, in the news uh, this week because I've been posting some stuff on, on the channel uh, on the blog, and you'll see that you know there's some TV shows, some movies coming out. Um, uh, you know, there's a, a bunch of post-apocalyptic role-playing games. Uh, you know, uh, on um, on the Kickstarter, it's like I haven't done this in a month, so I like lose my brain. So uh, I got some stuff coming up there, but I'm just going to go ahead and uh, let's just dive into uh, the show and uh, let's talk about uh, Tiny Wastelands. So. All right, Alan, we are going to, and you know, it would be really helpful if I had my list of questions in front of me. Okay, there you go. Ah, I have it in front of me, so I get to start. Tell us about yourself, Alan. Ha ha. I've oh. cut Jared off at the pass. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Alan. Sure. So uh, I'm Alan Barr. I run and operate Gallant Night Games, a tabletop gaming company, primarily focused on role playing, but we do some card and board on the side. Uh, what to tell uh this is my full-time gig i make games all day long i love it uh yeah i don't know i'm not that exciting i mean well we we approve of your we approve of your uh your decor you have, you have clearly you have uh, rigged out your room in proper nerd fashion you know um all the way from the starships on top and the katana and the wakazashi um is that a um is that a is that a cthulhu in the corner over there or am i just uh, uh right over here yes no, that's a pile of dice bags. Oh, it's a pile of dice bags. Well, Cthulhu, pile of dice bags, it's they're almost the same thing. They they both represent the uncaring, unfeeling universe and its complete indifference to our wants and needs. I don't think you're wrong with that. I think that's <laughs> spot on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Alan definitely fits the decor of uh you know what us, you know, oh, yeah. nerds do. Like, you know, you can't see up on the top of my shelf, but I have like I have a replica um uh, Hellraiser cube up there, under glass, you nice. know, uh, a uh, Pip Boy, a um, uh, mini nuke. I have. Uh, oh, Jared, uh, Jared, Jared! Did you see the uh, the Blade Runner gun that's now available? Uh, no. Apparently, you can get it on a. It's it's a working prop with a weapon from twenty forty nine Blade Runner twenty forty nine. You can get it on a payment plan. They've actually set up payment plans for this thing. Like you can get it on layaway. Um, well, that means it's that means it's really expensive. Oh my god! 
<laughs> but uh, but regardless, but okay. So Alan, but instead of about yourself, then uh, uh, yeah. to, to tell us a little bit more about uh, Gallant Knight Games. Sure. Yeah. So, like I said, primarily uh, role playing games. Uh, we uh, the big flagship line is our Tiny D Six line, which is a minimalist take on role playing games, very streamlined, rules light. We also publish the post apocalyptic RPG Atomic Highway. Uh, and some other games. There's a, we have a couple game lines, some OSR, some more experimental like pocket RPGs. And then I have several publishing partners I work with. So if you go to our uh, website or our drive through catalog, you'll see over a hundred titles sitting in there. So there's a lot of variety and options. Oh, so you do a lot of stuff on uh, drive through RPG. Yep. Drive through RPG. And then our, uh, gallon Okay. You know, I should have, should have posted about that, but I'll I'll make up I'll I'll get, I'll get that posted on stuff so people get uh, head back to that. So no worries. Like I said, we're not professionals here, so <laughs> we uh, you posted to my Kickstarter, which is the thing I really care about right now. So that's okay. All right. So uh, all right, that's fantastic. So and the tiny um, tiny D six is the uh, mechanic system that Tiny Wastelands uses, correct? Yeah, it powers all the tiny RPGs. Okay. Cool. Cool. All right, so uh, thanks for that. Now, next, uh, we were going to say, let's talk about the game. Uh, Alan, g give us a, a high-level uh, overview of this game that you currently have on Kickstarter. Yeah, so we'll start with the basic of the Tiny D6 system, and then I'll talk about what changes for uh, Tiny Wastelands. So the basic system in Tiny D6 is you roll 2D6, and if either dice shows a 5 or 6, that's a successful action. Uh, all attacks do 1 damage. You have a collection of traits. You, most characters have three, um, plus one from their profession or heritage or class or whatever you call it. Um, so four traits total. Traits will give you advantage. So for example, the educated trait gives you advantage on knowledge tests. When you have advantage, you roll 3d6. If you roll a five or six on any of those dice, you do the thing. Then there is disadvantage where you roll 1d6. If you roll a five or six on that single dice, you do the thing. It's a, it's a very straightforward system. You can fit a character on a 3 by 5 note card with room to spare. Uh, just, really, the goal of the system is to get out of the way. Okay. And that's uh, that's good, because that, all, that, all, that kind of goes along the line of, as you know, being ga you know gamers, and uh, you do see a lot of debate out there uh, a lot about systems, and, oh, oh, systems aren't important, and it doesn't matter what game you play, as long as you're role-playing, and... I see a lot of those debates, and uh, this is a, a this sounds like a good thing because it, it gives you just enough mechanics to accomplish the things that you need a system for. Because no matter what you're playing, you need a system. You need something because yep. if you're not, then you're just larping. But even larping has a system. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you need enough of the game to be a role playing game, right? Exactly. So that that's cool. You know, I, I don't. You know, I there's uh, some minimalist systems I played in the past, like. Uh, what is it? Uh, Atlas Games uh, uh, over uh, on the edge. Okay. Over the edge, yes, yes, on the edge. Yeah. Is it on the edge or over the edge? One's the card game, one's the RPG. Over the edge, right. on the edge. So that was a minimal system because then it lets you focus more uh, on the role playing and just have a just have a little bit just to you know resolve things that you need to resolve. So yeah, that's exactly uh, the point here. So. That that sounds fantastic. Uh, you know, uh, I'm a backer myself. You know, like I told you before, so I'm definitely want to uh, curious nice. to see how how it turns out. I will you say, know, if anybody is curious, our first game, uh, Tiny Frontiers, which is space opera, is pay what you want on Drive Through RPG now, mm. because there's a revised edition coming. It's our very first game, so there's a lot of first game issues. 
Of course. You know, obviously, which is why it's pay what you want, because we have a new edition coming that cleans up a lot of those problems for us. Alan, can I ask you a question about uh, about your dice mechanic? Sure, please. Um, when uh, I, I understand how the idea that a trait can affect uh, a particular kind of rules, um, but one of my thought questions was, um, would uh, would uh, let's say in tiny wastelands you acquire the last of the V eight interceptors? Does that would would an item that you pick up also be grant you the ability to add yet another dice? Or is the maximum number of dice three? The maximum is three, um, and the core mechanic states that disadvantage overrides advantage. Okay, that's a bit of a balancing issue. Um, in okay. order to have penalty, you know, for example, if you have a trait that says you can give yourself disadvantage on an attack to do more damage, okay, that, that disadvantage needs to override the advantage. It can't come out at a wash, or there's a balance issue. But okay. um, mutation traits, which I'll, I'll follow up with that in a second, and then pre-fall items give you advantage, and often that advantage cannot be negated. Okay, so something like that could go up to four no, dice? No, it, it caps at three, but absolutely. it would ignore disadvantage. Okay, that's actually uh, that's, that actually strikes me as kind of raw and brutal, um, that the uh, the chances for an egregious uh, for egregious failure exist even when you've maxed out the system. It's, it's not a system if you want to feel like a superhero all the time. Okay. But when Tiny Supers comes out, then you can do that. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. We, we make some changes there. <laughs> now, um, to get away from uh, the mechanic of the system a little bit, yeah. this specific version uh, game that you're putting out, Tiny Wastelands, what makes what is what is Tiny Wasteland? Why is sure. how is that different than the space opera? Which it's kind of cool that you did a space opera one. I like that. What makes that different than that? So I assume it's about the apocalypse, but right. what what is involved in the in this role playing game? So uh, I'll start with the mechanic differences, and then I'll go into the rest of the book. So mechanically, um, the differences are the introduction of mutation traits; those are totally new. There's a whole new mechanic around uh, mutation um, and gaining random mutation traits. You know, uh, radio radiation poisoning, etc. Mm -hmm. um, there's a whole new set of mechanics around scavenging and gathering equipment that haven't existed before in the tiny D6 system. And then the big kicker is the enclave mechanic. Um, so the, the big catch of Tiny Wasteland that sets it apart from other uh, post-apocalyptic RPGs, at least the ones I've played and read, of which I have many, but it's potentially, you know, somebody's already done this before somewhere, um, is that every, you know, one to four, set three sessions, the year ends and you have to go back to your settlement and deal with the effects of supply and demand and raids. The enclave phase happens, and there is a thing called the reaping, where you're going to get raided. People are going to attack you. You have to deal with mounting insanity in your settlement that will decrease your population. Fuel and food can run out. These are actually statistics your settlement has that you have to manage as a player. Okay. And there's a series of rules for buildings that grant you things or provide some sort of benefit to the settlement so you can gather resource dice by scavenging out in the wasteland and bringing them back home and you can expend those resource dice to defend the settlement to build new buildings to gain new resources etc does the settlement survival during the reaping depend on is the settlement like a, another character you know it's got it's trade? got its, it's got its own attributes and stats and mechanics for management okay. and the players all cooperate together to support it okay so 
the campaigns I get so 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 the campaign setting is really centered around your vi- your village and its survival in a, in a large sense the game is written to have that part be able you can pull that out if you don't want to play with that you don't have to but um, I'm a big fan of the metagame in RPGs things that are bigger than my character I enjoy things that aren't aren't just my one singular character I like a family or a land to manage or an organization. And Tiny Wasteland adds a settlement that you can, if you want to play that game, be responsible for. And the, and the big crux of the game becomes going out, gathering resources that your settlement needs to turn into resource dice to help pr- provide for your settlement. Well, so it's something you could take or leave, but it'll but but keeping it adds I more depth, like, more adds more depth to the game. I feel like it's. And it, I, I can't imagine playing Tiny Wastelands without it, but I freely admit I wrote that chapter because I love that kind of stuff. No, it, it definitely sounds very interesting. So uh, from so what I saw on the Kickstarter, it seems like the uh, the package that we're going to get, you know, the, the mm-hmm. book is going to, it's, it's set up, uh, it consists of micro settings. Yes. So, so micro settings are, are the other big difference between our books. So the rules for the game are only 40 pages in a, small book eight by five but 8.5 by 5.5 book there's not yeah. big i mean i can show you i've got mine right here Ugh. so this is our second one we did this is uh mechas and monsters hmm. and the rules are so it's like dig- it's like a digest size uh your book yeah, yeah exactly so this is the rules these first 50 pages the rest of the book which is this big chunk is what are called micro settings, which are high level six page micro like setting guides designed to sort of jumpstart your imagination. They're not detailed. They're more broad stroke settings that you can then take and make your own. So it's kind of like an adventure starter. Um, not really. Uh, they don't, they, ha- they have some adventure prompts. They won't actually have an adventure in them. Oh, okay. So it's really more the setting of you are. In- the, the, this is why the apocalypse happened. You know, here are the challenges most people face in this time frame. If you want to run with this and then tweak it and change it, go nuts. It's only six pages. It's very high level. You know, you can make it your own, but it's designed to sort of give a GM a jumpstart into a cool idea. Oh, okay. So it's really more like the book consists of the mechanics and the revised mechanics for this particular setting. Right. And and, and then it gives you uh, a big, from I see all the goals, uh, stretch goals have been unlocked, a big amount of, uh, different be- settings. I that believe you there's what twelve different settings right now. It maybe it, it it was a lot. It was it was quite a bit. Right, and they're all different, written by different authors. Okay, so it's different. Okay, so it's like here's your zombie apocalypse. Here's your robot apocalypse. Here's right. your here's kaiju. Your water, here's your water world. Here's your nuclear fallout. Here's your second. You know, eighth ice age. Whatever we're on now. I don't. I don't actually know. Okay. Okay. Cool. So it's uh here's a setting that you could go and go. Right. For example, we have two water ones. One is the flooding is actually currently happening. And so you're part of an apocalyptic study that's being slowly crushed inland. And that's that's a very different field than one where, you know, the world's been flooded for 100 years now. And you're Kevin Costner. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. And then there's another one where the world's been flooded for a while, but pre-age myths of Atlantis are super impacting how societies operate. So between all of these, you have three different water worlds that feel very different. Okay, very very cool. Um, well, all Mr. Right. Wallace, Mr. Wallace always likes an apocalypse that's in the middle of unfolding, as opposed to the sort of 
this is your apocalypse. It's done. Um, yeah, we uh, have several that are set that way. Well, well, I I do like you know like something like Gam World. I do like it far, but I also I got a thing for like while it's going down. You know, yep. You could easily use this to run that. Oh, perfect, cool. All right, so all right, so cool. That's it. Sounds uh, that's very promising. It's very interesting. Um, you know, uh, got a lot of good source material. Um, and my next question related to that would be, what inspired you to create this game? You know, the, actually, the, the actually, Jared, let me let me parse that game just that that question just a little bit. Okay. Um, two parts. What inspired you to make the tiny, you know, this this tiny D six system? Uh, based on the other mechanics you saw out there in the gaming world at the time, and then also what inspired you to go with a post-apocalyptic setting for your latest project? Um, so Tiny D6 is sort of the result of... I go to a lot of conventions. Gen Con? Gen Con, every year for the last couple of years. Um, I, I've gone every year since 98. Well, you got me beat. I was 10 in 98. So <laughs> not going you, to Gen Con. You still could have went. <laughs> yeah. um so the tiny d6 system because your character is you know you pick a class and three traits and you're done mm-hmm. um you can make a character in about a minute and get going real quick and everybody has spare d6s laying around so it sort of the tiny d6 system isn't built for long multi-gear campaigns well it sure as hell is it is, is prioritized and advantaged for you know when I sit down at a table with a with a with something to run at Gen Con or a convention, and it's Call of Cthulhu or it's Delta Green, I have to generate these very deep characters. A right. lot, and then teach everybody some pretty complex mechanics with lots of depth. Yeah, yeah, right. like they're completely fresh. But Tiny D Six is written for one offs, uh, short, you know, six session campaigns in between your big campaign if you need a small break, conventions that sort of teaching younger, newer role players because the mechanics are so intuitive. Mm-hmm. It really is geared towards. I don't want to say filler games, but this functionally, yes, filler games, right? And not in a negative sense, but in a this is engineered to fill the gaps. It can be your regular game. We play Tiny D Six all the time, yeah. But you know, I mean, we don't we don't play it for. No, I, I completely get six the idea sessions of, in a row. I completely get the idea of 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 uh, uh, maximizing your ability to have anyone sit down at any time for any amount of time that you're going to play. And you can get something done rather than, you know, the endless, uh, you know, go right. shopping, pick your character trait, yep. you know, that and could so happen. Another- that's really the goal of Tiny D6 is to fill that niche because even some of the less complicated, you know, old school rules like games like Fate. Fate is not a hard game to teach, but it takes a while to set up Fate. Mm-hmm. You want to play yeah. Fate, right? Uh, so really Tiny D6 is kind of engineered for that. Man, that is—I got to tell—it's hard for some of us grognards to wrap our heads around how small these, how simple these mechanics are. Because back in the day, the original you know, Call of Cthulhu was considered a simple game compared to the stuff that was wandering around the '80s, like you know, Twilight Two Thousand, Twilight Two Thousand, or anything from Fantasy Games Unlimited, Aftermath. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, or my, or everyone's favorite—you know—was it uh, Phoenix Command? Um, they were, those games were like uh, filling out your taxes. Oh yeah, no, I and I played you know RuneQuest and you know even some of the older crunchy foreign ones, you know. Mm. So I'm familiar with crunchy games. We love them. We played them, but Tiny D6 is definitely 
the far end of the seesaw there. Oh, and and you like you're and you're right. You have definitely filled the niche because sometimes there is a need for that quick pickup game without because a lot of times people say games are quick pickup and they're really not. This right. like from everything you've described to us is totally designed for that quick pickup. And there's nothing wrong with being a filler game as long as it's aware of it. Because a lot of times games are filler games and they're not Messy. really supposed to be filler. But this this sounds great because it's like, you know what? Uh, you know, hey, you know, Bob and John can't come to the game tonight. Let's do something else. Perfect right. for that. You know, and that's where one of my favorite tiny game we've made so far is our Mechas and Monsters, which is basically Pacific Rim. Right? You can make a giant robot or you can make a giant kaiju. And there's like... And the GM screen is basically a chart of when you throw somebody in a city, roll 3D6 to see what building they hit and what it does. <laughs> right? And so you're like, oh, everybody can't make it? All right, everybody. Here's a character sheet. You know, take three minutes, create a kaiju, create a mecha, and we're just going to go smash Chicago <laughs> and move on, right, for one night. Like, no, that's, I... a great, that's a great, fun, little, uh, different thing. Oh, that's definitely... Uh, I. I... I, re- I said I read the Kickstarter and I liked what I saw, but talking to Alan to you right now, I like it even more than I originally liked it. So, all right, well, you should upgrade your pledge then. That's what I heard. Uh, uh, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, I, always upsell, always upsell. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, no worries. It's, it's just, uh, you know, I got to. on, Jared. You worked at McDonald's when you were 16 always offer them the fries that's how it works would you like a hot apple pie with that but uh <laughs> but yeah what about, so... the, uh, what about the inspiration for what made you want to do a post-apocalyptic setting ironically oh, enough the original reason was because you couldn't get a print copy of atomic highway ah um and i and i loved atomic highway and so i was like well i own tiny d6 I can take some design cues from Atomic Highway on, and then add my own bits and flavor and kind of move on from there. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, two months ago, I bought Atomic Highway as a publisher. So now I own it and now there's print copies everywhere in my house. <laughs> so I'm not sure if I actually served the purpose, but, you know. Yes, you did. You, you saved did. The, per- the more apocalypse, the better. Really? Yeah, well, and you know they're different, right? Atomic Highway is a little crunchier; it's a little more geared for long, longer-term play. And again, Tiny Wastelands is you want to get sit down with your friends and try to survive for one night at Gen Con while everybody's drinking. These mechanics will let you do that. Mm, it does sound like you can play it drunk. It's so simple. I, 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 I don't want to own up to anything, but it's possible I might have designed entire portions of the game. There has there, there has been rigorous play testing. <laughs> Under in, exactly all, in all conditions. Yeah. Well, well, that's good because Scott has never played any game drunk before. Never. So. <laughs> right. never. But no, so, you know, I wanted a game, and I'll show you why, what I mean by that. So this oh. bag. Has your booze in it? No. <laughs> it has three different Tiny D6 games, six pencils, about 100 note cards, and about 30 dice. Mm. And I just take this when I go to cons. <laughs> and it's... Um, it's, I mean, I'll, this is an eight by five, 11, an eight by 11 RPG. Oh, look which one it is. And then, you know, it's not huge, right? I can throw this in my backpack and I'm good to go with yeah. four different genres of role-playing game. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that, that's why I have to take my laptop to conventions now, because there's no way I can bring six milk crates full of books. 
So yeah. that's a, why yeah. I bring one bag. <laughs> that's nice. uh, good work, sir. It's a, you're 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 doing you're doing the apocalypse. The apocalypse's work. Uh, the Lord of the Wastelands work. You're doing the Lord of the Wastelands. You're doing the Lord Humongous's work, sir. There okay, you go. that's the guy. <laughs> All right. Now that being said, because uh, you're talking about Atomic Highway, another uh, post-apocalyptic RPG that you now own and uh, publish uh, along with your own. When you were creating this game, I mean, what did you see missing from other post-apocalyptic games that this post-apocalyptic game provides? Well, I mean, for 1086, and a lot of it, the big draw is just the simplicity, right? The simplicity to play in multiple genres. And le less so than providing something different to the genre as a genre is about providing easy and simple mechanics to let more people access the genre, right? Yes. I'm not interested in, and this might sound terrible to you, but I'm not interested in revising how we view apocalyptic RPGs. I'm interested in getting an apocalyptic RPG into more hands of people that can play it easily. No, that's that's valid. No, we're not saying. Uh, no, it's no, it's not. Uh, right. So, no, that's that's, it, the, that's the big thing the game provides is the super simple mechanics. You, you don't and have I, to. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just got to get them on the fucking bicycle. Basically, I, I'm trying to get everybody back on training wheels. Right. Um, and then the, the settlement mechanics are something I've always wanted in an RPG that I've never really had for the uh, post-apocalypse stuff. So that part is the addition to the genre of new mechanics for apocalypse RPGs. But overall, I think the goal is just the simple mechanics. It's, now, the, kind of thing I, it's the kind of thing I think you could even plug into fantasy RPGs for whatever your stronghold or your freehold is. If, if, they, not, if your players aren't murder hobos... Then we have know. a we have an ongoing uh, e magazine called Tiny Zine, and mm -hmm. I am confident that the Enclave rules, once Tiny Way Suns is out, might make a fantasy appearance. Cool. Now uh, that being said, since it's the same mechanics for all your different uh, genres, mm -hmm. they do they cross over easily. Can you can you take yeah. bits from one into another? Totally. Yeah, it's, they're they're literally written to do that. Like, I have a friend who, when he was playtesting, the whole thing he ran was he did two sessions of Mechas and Monsters where they basically tried to stop the apocalypse and failed. <laughs> so they all got into a colony ship using Tiny Frontiers and shut off onto space where they crashed a colony ship into an apocalyptic wasteland desert planet and had to play Tiny Wastelands as a playtest group. Perfect. It all it all works. It all flows. That That's that's good. I like to hear that. That's... Uh... That that that's that's really cool that you've made yeah. you've made your, un, your you've made your universes interchangeable with each other and the mechanics the whole thing that that's that's really cool uh, I'm really I'm really digging all this for sure absolutely thank you now uh, we already talked about the mechanics so we're yep. you know because folks as you know we when we interview people we try to have a structured uh, question system so we don't go off on a tangent but as as much as we normally do so we try to at least keep it somewhat focused uh, but we did talk about the mechanics but let's talk about the project a little bit um, I'm gonna kind of just roll these together so you can just kind of talk all about it at once um, this particular project tell us you know like how long it took you know how, how long what, what, how, how long were you involved in this project how long did it take to develop what challenges did you encounter? with this project and what sure. successes have you had from this project? Sure. Um, so I wrote it in about a day. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, it's not hard. I, I've written about 12 tiny D6 games, of which I think four, or this is the fourth one coming out. So uh, they don't take me long to write. Um, and because they all use the same basic framework, I don't have to rewrite entire swaths of the rule book, right? Yes. So yes. I think I wrote it about a day because it was mostly adding the new wasteland themed mechanics. <clears throat> um, the playtesting took a while. I mean, we did we did three months of playtesting, give or take, over about ten to twelve different groups. Um, that was, and again, I mean, that was that. Uh, so actually, this project was on Kickstarter last year in June. Um, at the time, Gallant Games was owned by Nocturnal Media. In at the end of June, when we were live on Kickstarter, the owner of Nocturnal Media, Stuart Week, passed away unexpectedly. Yeah. And so at the time, we uh, canceled the project because we didn't know what the future was going to hold. And I didn't feel comfortable taking money from folks, not knowing, you know, was what was happening. Right. Um, since then, Gallant Games has reverted back to me fully. And so, oh. you know. Well, wait, wait, time out. Hold on a second. So. Yeah. This all sounds familiar. Did you also do Clash of Steel? Uh, the little card game? Yeah. No. So when, so Ben Dutter was a publishing partner of Stewart's. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Gallon A Games was actually owned by Nocturnal Media, and I was a full-time employee at Nocturnal Media. I have worked with Ben a lot. I've been helping him with Clash of Steel. Oh, okay, okay. Because when you said he passed away, you know, I was like, wait a minute, I've heard this, I've heard this story... Yeah. In other places, back in the other others, other projects, I'm the one always making updates. Prince Valiant, Talislanta, all that stuff. Oh, so I've I've seen you all over the place then. <laughs> yes, you, of, you I am, I am in a lot of places. I was going to say a lot of people took a hit when he died. Yeah, um, he had his fingers in a lot of pies, and he was helping a lot of people with a lot of projects. So yep. it was the impact of him passing away was across the industry. Yes, but we managed to get all those projects going. So, I think we've only canceled one. So, that's that's not bad. That's 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 good. That's no. good that you're able to make that recovery because, like like Scott said, it was very impactful. You know was, that his passing. It was. I mean, that was my full time job and my boss and a good friend of mine. So, yeah. But uh, anyway, so we canceled it at the time because I didn't know what was going on. You know, I didn't even know if I had a job in the immediate thereafter. Because um, it was only me and Stuart and the Colonel Media we were the only two employees. Um, so at the time we canceled it, um, and we took some time to let just get some space, and so then we brought it back. So it's been a long road with some interesting hurdles that most uh, Kickstarter companies probably won't encounter. Yeah, hopefully, I I, I hope for their sake they don't. <laughs> uh, but we're back, so. Yeah, and you funded pretty quick, right? If I yeah, remember, we, we, we hit twenty thousand on the first day. Mm. And it's been kind of a slow burn since then. Tell me, um, uh, how many Kickstarters is this for your company again? This is my ninth, I believe. Okay, um, ninth okay. with my company, but I've done over a dozen more as a project manager for Nocturnal okay. Media or other companies. Okay. Um, uh, of the Gallonite Games, when all of them but one were delivered on time, with multiples being delivered early. I mean, That's, our first one, Tiny Frontiers, was three months early. Okay, clearly, I failed. I don't. I'm not hearing you correctly because you said something about delivering a Kickstarter early. That's uh, that's not possible. Is uh, it? Stop! Stop! Don't go there, Scott. Just just stop right now. <laughs> okay, this doesn't seem possible. In, in um, several of Nocturnal's projects that I project manage are obviously uh, late for clear reasons. Yes. Uh, 
but uh, they're all they're all delivering and they're all they're all moving forward. Actually, we it's going to be an interesting next couple months when we I think we deliver on twelve projects in four months somehow. That's you know? pretty goddamn impressive, sir. So uh, really you know, things, I, I've seen the I've seen a lot of the hurdles Kickstarter has to offer, and on the Gal Name Gave side, I managed to overcome almost all of them. So now, who are you going to be using for your shipping and distribution? I ship out of my garage. Okay, good. Yeah, just don't. Uh, one of one of the things I have encountered in a lot of Kickstarter is people. A lot of people use ship naked. I uh, I have received packages from them. I've never used them. Uh, our hobby store distributor is Studio Two. Okay. Yeah, and they're fantastic. So we'll. Uh, I mean, eventually, Tiny Waste Lines will be available and find hobby stores everywhere through Studio Two. All right, cool. I was just saying, stay away from ship naked because nope, we, uh, uh, it, it saves a lot of money if I ship out of my garage. So that was perfect. Mm -hmm. And I'm not yeah. so successful that I still can't do that. <laughs> you know, because uh, they use DHL, and DHL is the worst shipping company oh. ever. So well, clearly you've never received a package from OnTrack. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I st There's still time, Jared. <laughs> oh, I, one can one can only hope. Uh, <laughs> now uh, I was uh, shoot. I was going to ask something now. Okay. Um, you know, I, I completely lost. You're blanking? I'll, I I'll, I'll, I'll pick up. How about right. this? No, no. Uh, before we go into the other ones, it was something we were talking about the challenges, yep. uh, successes, successes, and we were talking about delivery. We were talking about. Uh, oh, I know what I was going to talk about. Okay. Related to the game and delivery, because I know you're, because I know you're doing, you know, the hard, uh, you know, the softback. Yep. Now I also saw. I guess this kind of goes back to mechanics. Is you're also going to have uh, uh, cards with the game. Yes, the enclave deck. So the idea of the enclave deck is at the start of a year in game terms, you can draw a card from it, and it will present a sort of hurdle or challenge your uh, community faces that you have to try to overcome, or you can ignore with sort of a consequence or a benefit. Now, just like uh, the GM can use it as an adventure prompt or a springboard. Now, uh, the Enclave deck, is it only on the cards? Do you also have charts as well, uh, if people don't want to use cards? It's only on the cards, but everybody will be getting the PDF, so you could simply just open the PDF and look at it if you wanted. You could roll a dice and go to that page number. Okay. okay. It, it wouldn't be difficult. Is, is the Enclave deck with these challenges, is this something you could also use to generate randomly... Um, uh, the attributes of a community or the threats to a community that is randomly encountered or, you know, yeah, that that's kind of what it is. It's designed to sort of, so at the start of the fictional year, I would, the GM me would draw a card and look at it. It would say, Oh, um, there's been a leak in the fuel stores. You know, you lose X fuel rating, which is a stat your enclave has that powers your vehicles. If you don't have a uh, fuel, you can't leave the town with your vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, and so the players would then have to go try to find fuel. Right, and and it would be it'd be up to me. Why did it, why is there a leak? Was it sabotage? Was somebody inside the community betraying us? Uh, was there a raid and we didn't notice that something happened? You know, there's a lot of flexibility there that the GM can use to kind of springboard into an adventure or story. Mm, yeah, if it's just stolen, maybe it's still in town. You know, right? I mean, there's less than there was supposed to be. Yeah, very now, nice. Now that being said, with the cards. Do you plan on doing any other? Aspects to use cards in the game? 
Uh, yes. So there is a stretch goal that has not been unveiled. So this is the first everybody's hearing about it. Hey, look at the hey exclusive uh, where we will actually be taking the scavenging decks and turning scavenging tables in the book and turning them into a deck of cards that you can draw from. Very nice. Cool. cool. And the and the card deck will also be laced with random encounters. Oh, so like okay. there will be like there will be like a sixty card deck, and fifty of them will be just uh, you know, you draw a card. It'll have like a roll a d six. You find whatever item is on this d six table, and then ten of them will be like you encounter a wild radioactive jackalope. You know, here's I its stats that. on the card. I hate those. They're the worst. And the GM, you know, if they didn't want to deal with the random encounters, just take them out. Okay, they'll be they'll be clearly marked, so you don't need them. Now, uh. The production of your because I know you said you're on Drive Through RPG, mm -hmm. so I'm sure you're familiar with Drive Through cards. Are they going to be producing the cards for you? Um, it honestly just depends. So the Enclave deck, I think we need what 500. At 500, we'll probably do a print run of the Enclave deck. Mm -hmm. If we do the scavenging deck and we don't get enough add-ons, then yeah, we would just do them through print on demand. Okay. Oh, I was only asking because I've done a couple of small little games through drive-through cards, and the quality is really good. It just yeah. for consistency because we've we've printed multiple decks in the past for Tiny Dungeon, and then we have a card game called Moods of the Mad King that uses drive-through as our uh, card supplier. Okay, cool. Because then that's a good because that's a good tool for like say you want to add stuff right. to the game, you could easily just hey, it's available on drive-through cards, and people could just order a new deck right. or something or here, replacement here, cards, head new cards. Yeah, at, at the at minimum, I mean, after the campaign, both these decks will be on drive through for regular consumer purchase. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, because they, they do good work. I I, I was uh, on board when they started in like 2012, yeah. so uh, they, they they've come a long way. They do really good work. So that's that's cool. Because yeah, <laughs> I always like I always like the idea of I like the idea of cards in the game. Um, yeah. I, I don't I don't like them to be the sole source of of. I'm a, I'm a big fan of play aids in card form. Yes. Because it always reminds me back, like in the in the nine in the early nineties, uh, Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition used to do spell cards. Right. So instead of like like a lot of before those came out, we would uh, you know write our spell write your spells on like index cards and having the cards with the information is cool. You know, I don't like the, the you know determine everything in the game, but they're good, like you said, they're good supplementary material to like like randomly you know here's like you said scavenging or equipment yeah. or spells mutations whatever the case may be. So that that's cool that you're going that route. So that that's the uh, that's the later stretch goal. So that'll be our thirty five thousand dollars stretch goal. Cool, cool. So hopefully, people seeing you on this will help yeah. get you up there. Oh, so, yeah. and, uh, and if we don't hit it, we'll make them anyway. They just won't be part of the Kickstarter. Okay, cool. cool. They're written. They're going to come out. But the question is, do we have enough, you know, money to do the layout and the design and the art on them? That's kind of up to Kickstarter. Otherwise, it takes longer and sort of just trickles out as we get to it. Cool. That, that's cool. All right, uh, for this game, the Tiny yeah. Wastelands, uh, did, did you have any uh, fictional inspirations, whether they're books or movies yeah. or anything like that? So I'm a big fan of um, the more traditional apocalyptic stuff, Fallout, uh, Mad Max, uh, The Road, uh, Postman. Boy and his dog. Boy, boy and his yeah. dog, exactly. Mm -hmm. the more classical that's my favorite version of the apocalypse stuff like the kind of gritty hard scrabble almost like a western in a lot of ways yeah. um but i will say my favorite post-apocalyptic movie is the six string samurai <laughs> thank, thank you <laughs> um 
you're you're oh, you're, oh, you're good people. You're only good people. only one man could kill this many Russians. Bring me his guitar. <laughs> I don't do polka, baby. <laughs> uh, I love that movie. I own it on yeah. DVD and VHS. Like good. So uh, that is my favorite movie. Um, are, are you familiar with the um, the miniature line Atomic Cafe? Uh, loosely, yes. We don't okay. use miniatures a lot in my RPGs, even at home. No, so. I, I, I can't even imagine. But you know, for for, for uh, a pickup game like this, but if you were a fan of Six Dream Samurai, uh, uh, the guys who do that um, Atomic Cafe miniatures, it's all Six Dream Samurai. They even have a Six Dream Samurai miniature, and a you know, if you are if you swing that way, I don't know. I have just ordered it. You have just ordered it. Yeah, they they they've they've got uh, you know uh, a I number of things that are throwing money at the that. screen. Yeah, yeah. Wait, and I can't order it. Where is it? I can't find it. It's out of stock everywhere. Yeah, um, it, it may in fact be a, a, a it may in fact be out of out of stock. Nope, most eBay people. saved me. Okay, thank God. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, yeah, I love I love Six String Samurai. That's probably as Gonzo as I get. It's pretty Gonzo to be fair, but it is pretty goddamn Gonzo. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, so and then when it comes to RPGs, uh, Atomic Highway, you know, was always my favorite. The more classic. I never really got into Gamma World. Oh, uh, uh, get get off the show right now! <laughs> no, it's not that I dislike it. I have lots of friends who love it, and I played it. It's just for me, the fun apocalypse is the kind of the road warrior. Yeah, r- remember get out my car, death race, you know. Yeah, remember when this this man came of age, Jared? He's like, you know, he wasn't there in the beginning, when all we had was Gamma World. Remember? I don't know. I don't know, Alan. If you could see, let's see. Let's see if you could. Okay, you see. I'm trying to point. I can see your Gamma World boxes. See that shelf right there? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is every imprint book guide related to Gamma World through all seven editions. Ask him about his miniatures. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to. I'm afraid. Don't. Uh, Grenadier in the late 70s did, did a line of general miniatures. They did two large, uh, two uh, two box sets with uh, 12 each. Plus, okay. they did they did carded uh, uh, miniatures. There was 52 of them. Now, uh, I have 24 on card that took me a very long time to collect unfortunately i know i will never get all of them on card which is very disappointing so um <laughs> well maybe someday they'll get reprinted on drive through cards yeah or maybe uh well the thing with the miniatures is because i've been on a, a on facebook there's a gamma world uh sure. group uh that kimber eastland is on and he worked for TSR and did some uh, did a lot of the Gamma World work for a third a third and I think some fourth edition. So okay. he I think he actually worked for uh, a company that worked with Grenadier back in the day. And th- this subject came up with the Grenadier miniatures, and we were talking about it. He said that a lot of the latter half of the line, you know, like the the higher numbers, like you know the. 30s 40s 50s they produce very small numbers of them so that's why most of those are very difficult to find period gotcha. there you go so, so interesting. i know that there you go 
Ta talking about the other authors, because you've got a ton of other authors in here doing your uh, yeah doing your settings. I'm, you know, uh, I, I I guess I'm Facebook acquainted with James Gates and Angus Amberson, but the the rest of them are people who are uh, mostly new to me, or I don't have a personal connection sure. with, even if I've seen their work. Um, you know, tell us about so you know quick uh, yeah. what kind of apocalypses you've got in your lineup. Yeah, let me pull up my actual Kickstarter and I will just grab that because there's so many that I don't remember off the top of my head anymore. No, I wouldn't expect you to. It's like a, you got like 12 or 15 freaking yeah. apocalypses. So we've got uh, Wendelin Reichel wrote one where you're on a oil platform. Sort of a, it's kind of a bizarre, uh, your trade way station for post-apocalyptic travelers on an oil platform in the middle of the ocean. Okay. Um. There's Thief Diamond Salvage is the aftermath of an alien invasion where they just packed up and left and left tons of alien tech and kind of wrecked the world. Mm -hmm. um, you have Post-Human Terminus, which is a nanite apocalypse where people have been modified and changed. Uh, Liz Chypratikuls, she's from uh, Denmark, I believe. One, somewhere over there. I'm thinking it wrong. She'll be mad at me now. But uh, she's got one where you're a robot and all your human creators are dead, so you're trying to find ways to keep your battery charged. Oh, the, around. I gotta, huh. I gotta admit that the little blurb for that one seems super sexy. It was pretty great. Yeah. Um, Marie Brennan, who is a author, she publishes the um, Naturalist uh, Guide to History, I believe. She's got mm -hmm. a book series with Tor, I think. She's doing one where a mutant jungle is trying to eat the world. That sounds like. Uh... Uh, Brian Aldis, The Long Afternoon of Earth, where the uh, world gets completely uh, overgrown by vegetation. Very, yeah, very similar. Um, David Annandale, who writes 40K fiction for Black Library, is writing Phantasmagoria, where like it's a kind of a surrealist, weird apocalypse where reality is broken and like skyscrapers hunt you and try to eat you in the post-apocalyptic wasteland. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a Dadaist apocalypse. It, it, it functionally is. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> Angus is writing the Floodland, which is sort of an Atlantis-based one. Um, Mari Murdoch, she writes for Fantasy Flight and AEG. She did like L5R fiction and stuff. She's writing one where the moon shatters into the crashes into the world and everything's flooding, and so you're forced to move inward. We talked about this one earlier. Yeah. Sean Carmen, who was the L5R story lead for AEG for a long time is writing one called Red Fever based on uh, Into the Badlands a little bit, kind of inspired by that. Mm -hmm. um, Paul Weimer, who is a noted book reviewer, is writing one set in the Dakotas. So farm tractor duels and such in the wasteland and apocalypse. Uh, one where giant rats are what caused the apocalypse, and you have to deal with giant rats. So it's basically every first level adventure's worst nightmare, but for eternity. <laughs> um, Ryan Shute is doing an ice age we've got one where you're sort of uh, disease immune forest hippies and you're locked out from massive sanctuary cities and you're trying to deal with that um, where plague has killed mankind but you're immune so you've survived in the wild and they've basically shut you out of these utopian cities um, James Gates is writing one about California and then we have one called the second stone age by Diana Gunn where robots destroyed mankind enough that there's no technology left, so mankind has reverted to a Stone Age in order to stop robots from having any sort of technology. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have John Kennedy doing uh, Instant Matter Project, where a colony ship uh, has... that. Ah. His, his is crazy. 
Uh, it's weird. The, the crater. Yeah. I, I, was, I was amused by the crater. Yeah. That marked, marked your arrival on a brave new world. Yeah, that was his is his is a little nuts. It's kind of is amusing, and then uh, Darren Pierce, who wrote on the new Just Dread RPGs and a bunch of work for N World Publishing, Thirteenth uh, Age stuff like that. He is doing one about a colony ship that crashes on a new planet. So that sounds like uh, uh, oh god, it's like Pandorum. You think in Pandorum? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's a wide swath of themes throughout these settings. And then all of these authors are pros in some sense, you know, either they work in the RPG industry or they're professional fiction writers or, you know, something like that. So these are all very talented folks. What's the, uh, basic word count of a micro setting? 1500 words. comes out to about six pages in our book. Wow. That's actually more difficult than writing three or six because you have yep. to say everything in the absolute least amount of prose. That's brutal. And then our 30,000 stretch goal is a mutant animal setting where you play not ninja turtles in a half shell. That would be copyright infringement. Yes, it would. It, what, what's the, uh, Jared, what was the uh, comic book that uh, that did that? The nth generation? Oh, uh, oh, uh, the last generation. Yeah, the last generation. Uh, yeah, there was a, was it 80s? Uh, it's Black Tie Studios published it in 1987. Yeah. Uh, only five issues came out because one of the main writers who was working on it, uh, writers passed away. So they stopped the development of it. The artwork was done by, uh, I can't remember, but he's just a really good artist. Uh, but yeah, anyway, Last Generation, it, it, you can track it down online. It's, a it's only five issues, but it's a really good uh, post-apocalyptic comic book setting, kind of Gamma World-ish. Nice. So we, yeah, so our 30,001 is a, and it will include new random tables to create a randomly mutated animal with intelligence and stuff. So you can kind of just roll up a character on 46 and move on. Okay. Very cool, sir. That's uh, that's quite a lineup actually. Um, you've got, uh, you got some really good people on board. Yeah. Um, very happy. There, what was the one setting that you just didn't see coming? You know, uh, I sort of quit thinking about that until they sent me their pictures. <laughs> <laughs> after this is the fourth time we've done this yeah so now i just kind of like uh, i guess i'll see what i get when i set this out okay all right um, uh, you, you just you, you've been surprised me. enough times that yeah, you just after, being surprised after the time travel kaiju hunting mecha pilots where you play amelia Earhart and abraham lincoln and giant robots <laughs> and mechas and monsters i sort of just <laughs> that that broke me i think past that uh... so, <laughs> you will probably never get weirder than Abe uh... in a steam-powered mecha with a fire axe so uh... wow yeah you, you might, you might but not likely it's hard yeah the only way to take him out is with a steam-powered john wilkes booth <laughs> yeah it was a uh, after that i'm like okay well this will never catch me off guard again <laughs> you can say you've seen the elephant there are no surprises left all right wow wow so wow. any uh any 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 final words about the project that you want to add that we maybe didn't uh get to please come back it i would love to take your money and in return i will give you a great little minimalist rpg and it sounds like you will so folks you could find tiny wastelands on Kickstarter, just type in Tiny Wastelands and you'll find it. Uh, there was also a link to it in the uh, post I made about this. I will also post 
uh, about uh, gallantnightgames.com uh, as well, where you can find his other uh, fine products. So, all right, folks. So uh, that's it for today. Again, Alan, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to you, uh, finding out more about your game, your system, and all the other cool games it sounds like you have going on there too. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. I, I got to ask out of personal interest, do you have a uh, pulp era, you know, sort of game of, uh, you know, 1930s punching Nazis? And Do you uh, mean like my game Astounding Thrills and other fantastic pulp tales? That would be exactly the game I was looking for. That will be on Kickstarter later this week. Oh, not this okay. week, not this week, not this week, this year. Okay. You're going to kickstart that later this year. Well, so you've got, you've got we, my money already. With our Tiny D6 line, we do normal Kickstarters. I have what's called the Venerable Knight Classics, which is a line of OSR-inspired Sword and Wizardry white box takes. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those. So they actually run for a week. It's all print-on-demand delivery through DriveThruRPG, so there's no shipping. You just get a code, you print, you move on. Cool. Very, very simple, straightforward campaigns. All right, cool. You've got my money on that one. Excellent. We'll make sure to tell you when it's up. <laughs> Thank you, sir. All right, cool. So again, folks, this was Alan Barr from uh, Gallant Night Games. Their Kickstarter project is Tiny Wastelands. Okay, again, you can find it on Kickstarter. If you like what you heard uh, about the project, please go to Kickstarter and help support uh, Alan and his team to produce uh, the best quality game you can have. It already he's already doing he's already doing a lot of good stuff with that. But so see if you could get it higher to get more stuff for your Kickstarter. Now, uh, just so you know, Alan. Uh, uh, Later in the week, probably in a, in a couple of days, uh, like I said, well, right when we stop this, this is going to post to YouTube, uh, and people who are watching already know it's on YouTube. But I'll I'll send you the direct link uh, to the Perfect. YouTube so you could uh, you know post it around. I will also be ripping the audio and posting that to the blog, and I'll let you know when I have that posted to the blog because sometimes people just want to download the MP3 and listen. So sure, it'll give people access to that. It's and it'll be on iTunes as well because we're connected to that. So. And again, folks, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, you know, if you already are subscribing to the channel, thank you. If you have not, uh, I know I'm going to, you know, I don't see people do this all the time. There's a button down there to subscribe. So if you haven't subscribed to the channel, please subscribe to the channel. Uh, go to podcast.groundzero.com, which is our blog. Okay. That's where, again, is the main hub for all that's going on with the, with the uh, podcast at Ground Zero. It posts out to all the social media, but that's the hub where I post everything. The best way to keep apprised of what's going on with podcast at Ground Zero is just to subscribe by email or RS, RSS feed because, as we know, all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all these people are changing all their algorithms. And just because you like us on Facebook, you can still like us on Facebook. That would be great. But there's a good chance that you're not going to see what's happening because, you know, we don't post enough, so you're not going to see us. So the best way to stay is go to the right-hand column on podcast.crowdzero.com. There's a place to put your email and submit. And you will only get an email when I post something new on the blog. There's already over 360-something people subscribed to the blog, which is good. So that's the best way to keep up with Podcast at Ground Zero. So that being said, again, Alan... Thank you. Thank you, Scott. And um, thank you, everybody, uh, all our friends. We call we call the people that uh, watch and enjoy our show the Friends of the Apocalypse. So we always thank our Friends of the Apocalypse for uh, joining us for this show. Next show is we are going to be talking about, finally, the third book in the Silo, Silo series. We're going to review Dust. 
Uh, we're going to look to try to uh, get that done uh, next week, possibly Monday. I planned it with Scott, but I have some other logistics that have come up, so I might not be able to do it Monday. Me and Scott will talk offline about that. But that is going to be our next show is we're going to cover dust. And that's it, folks. So, again, Alan, thank you. Scott, thank you. And, again, folks, remember Tiny Wastelands. Go back it on Kickstarter. And that's it. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you in the wastelands.